This week, we're talking about travel tips and planning a photo trip, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. This week, travel is very much on my mind. Next week, I head to my Oregon Coast workshop, and I've been planning a lot of that. And so this week, I wanted to talk about some of my travel tips, as well as things that I'm looking at when I'm traveling and putting together one of these workshops. Over on Facebook, I've started a Facebook group for people that want to be notified of my workshops first. You just do a search for Nick Page Photo Workshops, and you can join that Facebook group. It's kind of like my version of a newsletter. Those people get first dibs on signing up for my workshops. A big thank you to all of the kind reviews that we've gotten over on iTunes. Thank you so much for all the kind words. And also thank you guys for being patient for this episode being a couple days late. I've had so much on my plate lately from getting the finishing touches put on my Kauai and Oregon Coast workshops, as well as working on my new tutorial that I'm working on right now about Photoshop. So, so thank you guys for putting up with this slightly late episode. Okay, so with that, let's jump into this week's episode about my travel tips, as well as planning a photo trip. The first thing that I always think about when I'm planning a photo trip is what time of year do I want to be where I'm going? So for example, if we're talking about Iceland, Do I want to be there when I can photograph the northern lights or do I want to be there when I can photograph the ice caves or am I looking for that midnight sun where the days are just super, super long and and you get those four and five hour long sunsets? Every place that you're going has different seasonal looks and you want to plan your trips around those seasonal looks generally because that's when you're going to get the best photos is when you get things like seasonal indicators, maybe we're talking wildflowers, maybe we're talking fall color. So I try to plan around those seasonal indicator type times. So that kind of helps me decide when I'm going to a location. Then once I know when I'm going to a location and I kind of have it narrowed down to a season, then what I'll do is I'll try to nail down, okay, what are the exact days or what are the most likely days that that season is going to be at its peak? This is always a really tough thing because seasonal indicators are very, very hard to plan for. Take wildflowers, for example. It totally depends on the amount of snowfall you have, how soon you get warm weather in the spring, whether you get late cold snaps where the frost kills off any kind of flowers that might be starting to bloom. It's a really difficult thing. But what you can do is look at years previous and find out when people were taking photos there several years previous and kind of average them out. And and that'll tell you, okay, well, between this week and this week is most likely when it's going to happen, barring any kind of really strange weather event. You can do that by looking back through Flickr or even just doing, you know, Instagram searches for, say, California Superbloom. And you can look at when people were posting Instagram photos of that Superbloom the year previous and then the year before that. And that gives you a rough set of dates to go on. That way you kind of have a general idea of when it happened to the previous years. And most likely it's going to happen in that same block of dates, give or take a week this next coming year. So that's how I pick what dates I'm picking for my photo trip. Once I have those dates, you want to make sure that you're trying to be as flexible as you can as far as 
lodging and that those kind of things because if something changes you want to be able to change your plans accordingly without being stuck with a whole bunch of like hotel room stays or something so if i'm planning a photo trip i'll either put my lodging off as long as i can or i'll just select pay at hotel like for example i use hotels.com to do most of my booking and one of the options that you can do is you can either pay now or you can pay once you get to the hotel and if you pay once you get to the hotel, obviously you're you're paying a slightly more expensive rate, but you get free cancellations, which is pretty important. If you pay ahead of time, sometimes those cancellations can be a pain to go through. So paying at the hotel is a good way of making sure that you know you can back out of your reservations and stuff. It gets more difficult once you start booking flights and stuff like that. I've had pretty bad experiences with attempting to cancel flights. Basically, they want to make sure that you're not just canceling it because you didn't want to go on the trip. They're making sure that the only way you can cancel your trip is if you could not physically go on your trip, like you hurt your back or did something very serious. That's the only time they're generally going to give you any kind of refund unless you're going through some kind of third party where you get a different kind of travel insurance, that kind of thing. But a lot of times it can be very complicated to cancel a flight. Another thing you want to keep in mind is weather events happening around the time of your of your trip. So, for example, if you're wanting to do or you're wanting the possibility of doing some night photography, should the skies go completely clear, you want to try to plan those trips around a new moon phase or at least a moon phase where the moon is not going to be up during those nighttime hours. Also, if you're going to like a coastal location, looking up tide tables is really important and you can do that way, way in advance. Tide tables can be found, you know, years in advance because it's very predictable that way. For example, if you're going to a place that is most photogenic at high tide, well, you want to make sure that you're going during a time when you're going to get high tide during either your sunrise or sunset uh, shooting times. That way you're making your tides coincide with the best light. There's nothing worse than getting that big, amazing sunset or sunrise and then not being there during the right tide height to get the shot that you're envisioning. So make sure that your tides are coinciding with your sunrise and sunset uh, shooting times. And then there's other locations that are just completely not shootable at all during high tide. And you want to make sure that you're able to get the shots that you're going to get in the first place. So looking up tide tables, also super critical. And kind of jumping back to remaining flexible, there are some places where you're just far better off to camp. For that reason, I love my roof tent. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I have a YouTube video kind of giving you a walkthrough of my James Baroud roof tent that I really, really love. Uh, I haven't had a chance to use it as much as I wish I did. But I love it because it gives me the opportunity to camp anywhere that I can park. If it's flat enough for me to be able to park there, I can crawl up on top of my car and sleep on a nice, comfortable foam mattress. It's weatherproof. It's nice for staying up and out of the weather. It's way warmer than a tent in a lot of ways. And it's super convenient because it takes me 30 seconds to set up my camp and all my bedding is all set up and ready to go. But obviously sleeping in your car, if you've got a car that will accommodate such a thing, just makes for a really convenient way of being there for sunset and sunrise. And you don't have those long drive times that you sometimes get if you're staying in a hotel. Uh, That's the downside to staying in a hotel is very seldom are they really close to your shooting locations. 
It's nice to have a shower. It's nice to have a comfortable bed. But the problem with comfortable beds is that they're really hard to get out of at like four in the morning. <laughs> and that's the problem I always run into is when I stay in a nice hotel, it's really hard to get up in the morning because I'm comfortable and I don't want to get up. When I'm sleeping in the car or when I'm sleeping in my roof tent, I have no problem getting up for those sunrises because, you know, quite frankly, I'm not sleeping all that comfortably anyways. I'm ready to get up by sunrise. Mixing in a few of those sleeping in the car nights with staying in hotel nights will make sure that you're shooting sunrise and then you stay in a hotel the, the following night or a couple nights later. That way you get a shower and, you know, you're able to be around other humans because you don't smell terrible. So kind of mixing in some of those sleeping in the car nights will make sure that you're out getting those sunrise shoots if you struggle with them like I do. So some of my favorite apps for planning travel trips are the Photographer's Ephemeris, really well-known app. I really, really like it just for being able to plan my sunrise and sunset times, light direction, uh, knowing the phase of the moon, knowing the rise and set of the moon. It just helps to have that really basic information. And the Photographer's Ephemeris is a great way of going about it. It's cheap and worth the money. Like I said, I book all of my hotels through Hotels.com. Main reason is I got started with it and I just kind of ran with it. They give you every 10th night free. So, you know, every 10th hotel night I get, I book, I get one night free. And when I'm booking hotel rooms for my entire workshop, that's kind of nice because I'm booking so many rooms. I end up after a workshop having like four nights free that I get to use on my personal shooting time. So I book with hotels.com. As far as weather apps, I like Weatherbug. I like Weather Underground. I really like this app called Windy. It's really interesting because you can check the, the temperature, the wind. It gives you radar. It gives you surf height. Um, it's really cool when you're shooting around the coast because you can just move your little cursor to anywhere along the coast and, and you can get all of that information. It's a pretty useful app. For tide heights, I really like Surfline and Magic Seaweed. Those are pretty much my main go-to apps for surf height. And I use all of these different apps uh, once, the, once I start getting a little bit closer to my, to my trip to kind of tell me what the weather is going to be like, what the light direction is going to be like, and what the surf heights are going to be like if I'm shooting around the ocean. Another thing is I make sure that I take gear that makes sense for the trip. I don't necessarily take the same gear to every single trip. For example, if there's a chance that I'm going to be shooting night photography, I want to take a fast, wide prime. I don't always just shoot all astrophotography with my 16-35. Sometimes it's really nice to you know, rent like that 14 millimeter F 1.8 or maybe rent a 24 millimeter F 1.4. It's nice to have a couple different options for composing with a different focal length if you're doing night photography. Or if I know that I'm going to be in a place with wildlife, a lot of times I will leave my 70 to 300 at home and I'll take my 150 to 600 Sigma with me. Or maybe I'll take both with me and then I'll just mix and match what I take with me during my shoot. But it's nice to take different gear that makes sense for the trip you're on, but don't take too much extra. A lot of people just take every single lens they have with them on every single trip. You end up with a really heavy bag that you're just lugging around and not, not enjoying. 
And half the time you don't use half of what you take with you anyways. A lot of times you're better off just to take a very simple, small amount of gear, which will force you to be a little bit more creative when the time comes. And you're not going to have that hesitancy of, do I shoot this with the 16 to 35 or the 24 to 70? You know, it's nice to have a little bit of flexibility, but you don't want to have so much flexibility that you get bogged down in those kind of decisions. So there's a couple things that I feel like are really, really important when you're going on a photo trip. First of all, you, you need a way to back up your photos, especially if this is going to be like one of those once in a lifetime type trips, which for some people is pretty much every trip they go on. You know, they're not going to be able to afford to go to whatever location you're going to a whole bunch of different times. So taking a laptop and backing up your photos as you go is a good option. If you do go that route, make sure you take like a little external hard drive, like a little one terabyte Western digital drive, just so you can uh, have a copy on your laptop and have a copy on that hard drive. Or, you know, sometimes you're taking so many photos that you can fill up that laptop hard drive and pretty much make it useless. Hard drives on laptops are getting smaller and smaller, it seems like, especially as the files in our cameras get bigger and bigger. So a little external hard drive and a laptop to back up your photos is a good idea. I don't necessarily like do a lot of editing as I travel. I don't really like to edit on a laptop. Mostly I just back up my photos. Another option is one of those NAR boxes. That's G-N-A-R-B-O-X. It's just a way of backing up your photos just straight onto a hard drive itself. And it gives you some really basic ways of like editing your photos as well, which not the most useful, but at least you can like put your files on this thing and then be able to review them as well. That's pretty cool. And that's another option. It's a much smaller option than packing a laptop around. Another super important thing is to make sure you take a backup camera body. If your main camera body dies, like happens to me, seems like all the time, you want to make sure that you have a second camera body so your trip isn't just done. If you destroy the only camera that you have with you or it stops working or starts to malfunction or something bad happens, you want to make sure that you have a way to continue to take photos. So taking a backup camera body is really, really important. I oftentimes don't even put it in my camera bag unless I'm doing like, you know, one camera body on one lens, one camera body on the other lens. So I can just swap cameras rather than swapping lenses all the time. But most of the time I'm taking that camera body and I'm leaving it in my, my suitcase with all my clothes and stuff. That way it's not adding to the weight of my bag. Another incredibly important thing that a lot of people forget to take with them is just like some basic tools. One of my favorite things to pack with me is the little STX multi-tool from Really Right Stuff. The reason I like that multi-tool, even for those that don't have Really Right Stuff tripods, is that they have all the Allen wrenches and all the different screw sizes and stuff that you need to be able to work on your tripod to either adjust the tension of your legs or to tighten the screw on the bottom of your L bracket or something like that. It's really nice to have the right size of Allen wrench that you need for adjusting all the different parts and pieces. But you need to make sure that you have a tool of some kind so you're able to work on your tripod and keep things tight and working properly. Otherwise, you're going to have a miserable time if, if a leg gets really tight or really loose and floppy. So speaking of tripods, one of the travel hacks is to actually bathe and to shower with your tripod if you're shooting around the ocean much. Because you get all of that sea salt and sand all gunked up in, on your tripod legs and stuff, it doesn't take long for that corrosion to build up. And to start uh, really eating away at every single metal piece on your tripod. 
And if you're not careful, your tripod is going to be ruined after only a few trips to the ocean. So what you want to do is get all of that sea salt off as often as you can. And ideally, you just shower with it either at the end of your trip or if you're, you know, you have a really nice expensive tripod and you want to take good care of it, shower with it every night after you shoot. Hop in the shower, take the tripod in with you and just quickly give it a once over. And then after the shower, uh, set your tripod up fully extended upside down so all the water runs out of it. Put it somewhere near whatever fan or heater you have going on. That way it can dry overnight. And you're not going to have any of the really corrosive sea salt stuck on your tripod because uh, I've ruined several tripods with sea salt and it happens really fast. The same is true for your camera and your L bracket and all the little nooks and crannies in your camera. You can get a lot of corrosion really fast by shooting around the, the salt water around the ocean and not getting that stuff off. So just giving it a once over with a wet washcloth will help a lot of that. Also, another good thing to do is to have rubbing alcohol that is like 98 to 99% alcohol and to wash, wash down your camera in those, all those little nooks and crannies. And that's going to get rid of that sea salt and it'll evaporate and your camera will be nice and clean. So make sure you're cleaning your tripod and your camera and anything else, your lenses that get any kind of sea spray on them because that sea salt is terrible for your stuff. Another travel tip is to travel light when it comes to clothes. It is so easy to take too many clothes with you. I'm guilty of this almost every single time. But as long as you're smart about the kinds of clothes you're taking, you can really get away with, with packing a whole lot lighter. My buddy Brian McGuckin from the Latitude Podcast, he is a really good traveler when it comes to packing light. When we went to China together, he came with so few clothes, I thought he was crazy. But what he would do is he had this all of these quick drying wicking clothes where he would wear them that day. He would wear one set of clothes that day. Then at night in the hotel room, he would wash them off in the sink. He would wring them out. He'd hang them up to dry and they were always dry by morning. And he had like two, maybe three pairs of, of clothes and he just washed them every single night and he never stunk. And then you have me who brought a whole bunch of clothes, but I made the mistake of bringing cotton and I would get it sweaty and then I was never able to really get that smell out and it was just really gross. And he smelled like daisies and I did not <laughs> for that whole trip. And that taught me the importance of quick drying, wicking outdoor clothing. It is so nice to be able to wash your stuff off in the sink, dry them overnight and have them smell decent the next day. What I'm wearing now a lot of times are Columbia outdoor gear. If you get them really dirty, you just wash them off in the sink. You know, use the bar soap and, and scrub them really good. Wash them off and then dry them in the bathroom overnight and stuff stays dry. So in that way, you can get away with like three, maybe four pairs of stuff and you're going to be just fine because you can wear the same clothes over and over and over again, just kind of cycle them through. And as long as you're washing them at night and drying them overnight, you're going to be okay. So quick drying clothes is the way to go. And then if you're in a cold environment, obviously you're going to want layers to wear underneath those. One other travel hack that I kind of have for you guys is that when I am drying my clothes, a lot of times I'm able to set up kind of a clothes drying rack in my hotel room at night by setting up my tripod and I'll kind of spread the legs over the top of whatever heater or fan I have 
And then I'll use those legs as like a, a clothes rack for hanging all of the different things that I have to dry. This is especially useful like in the winter months or when in the fall when everything is getting soaking wet, you're shooting in wet conditions and you need to be able to dry lens cloths and lens towels and clothes and coats and all of those different things and boots. Uh, you can you can set up your tripod like a clothes rack and hang just a whole bunch of stuff from it. So you just kind of sprawl that over the over the fan or over the heater that you have in your room, and that can really help. Also, one other essential piece of gear that I think people forget to take with them a lot is just a little power strip. With a power strip, you can charge a whole bunch of stuff at once rather than trying to find different outlets because you didn't bring one. With a power strip, you can charge several batteries at a time, your cell phone, all the different things you need to charge all from one power brick. And it takes up very little space in your luggage bag. Okay, so I guess that pretty much does it for this week. I'd love to hear your guys' suggestions and tips for traveling. You can go over to the Landscape Photography Podcast page over on Facebook. Just do a search for the Landscape Photography Podcast. Join the conversation there. I'd love to hear your tips. Please make sure that you subscribe to the show. And we'll see you next week. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>